It is good to be together on this important and poignant Sunday as we look back at all the saints, particularly those in the last year who have gone to be with the Lord, but all of those on whose shoulders we stand as a worshiping community today. As we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us turn to God in prayer. Let us pray. God of all generations, just as you spoke to our ancestors, your living word, we know that your word is still alive today, sharper than a two-edged sword, teaching, correcting, encouraging us whenever we open your word. So we ask now as we gather this morning that you would speak to us once again by your spirit. Give us ears to say what you're saying to your church, that we might once again fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. For we pray in his name. Amen. The Old Testament lesson today is Psalm 84. I invite you to close your eyes and use your imagination as we walk through the many rich images that the psalmist gives us in this psalm. So listen now for God's word to you. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. And the New Testament lesson is Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that's, that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
disregarded its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When was the last time you used your imagination? I mean, really, truly sat down and closed your eyes and imagined a world beyond touch and sight. The playful world of children depends on the vibrancy of their imaginations. I'm always reminded of this every Halloween. One little trick-or-treater last night had a very long story about her background as a princess as she came up to our door for candy. You hear adults tell children all the time to use your imagination. When children don't understand something, we tell them it'll have to come to life in their minds, right? When we read children fantasy stories, it's their imagination that keeps children's attention. When I was a kid, I have great memories of climbing trees in the park behind my house, imagining myself climbing to heaven. When my parents bought a basketball hoop for our front yard, I would spend hours playing in the NBA, driving around imaginary defenders or shooting free throws with the game on the line. Even today, when I prepare my sermons in my office, I imagine all of you sitting here as I look forward to this very moment. When do you use your imaginations? It seems like, for whatever reason, when we become adults, we don't always make as much use of our imagination anymore. I suppose it's because we have so many important things and responsibilities with which to concern ourselves that we might wonder what use our imagination might be to us because we have so much to deal with in the real world, right? But when it comes to our faith, our imaginations can be the key to a deeper walk with God. And in particular, learning to use our imaginations in prayer can be a deeply formative means by which to experience the presence of God. Maybe that's one of the things Jesus was getting at when he said that to enter the kingdom of God, we have to become like little children. Often we think of prayer in strictly conversational terms, which certainly makes the biblical mandate to pray continually seem awfully challenging, even for the most talkative among us. Prayer is often conceived as simply talking to God, right? And so we construct a sort of verbal letter to God when we pray. It begins with an address, dear God, gracious God, etc. And it ends with some kind of sign-off, in Jesus' name, amen. And then in the body of the letter, we offer our thanks and praise, confess our sins, make our petitions for those we love and care about. And of course, none of this is wrong or at all bad, and in fact, I'm convinced that the world is held together by these sorts of prayers more than we could ever know. But I think we can go deeper in our lives of prayer when we enlist our imaginations to help us with the process. The Psalms model this for us beautifully. The Psalms, after all, are the prayer book of the Bible, and as is the case with many psalms, Psalm 84, which we read a moment ago, is a feast for the imagination. 
It offers rich images of the house of the Lord. And if we're going to enter into the world of the psalmist with him in our minds, then we'll have to fully engage our imaginations if we want to appreciate the beauty and the encouragement that this psalm offers. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, the psalmist begins. And so right away we're prompted to call to mind that which is beautiful, lovely, exquisite. We cannot picture ourselves admiring the house of the Lord with the psalmist if we cannot share in his exclamation, how beautiful, how beautiful. The psalm goes on to offer images of joy and safety and singing, images of God bestowing favor and honor. People in the house of God find strength and humility and happiness. Thirsty land is quenched with fresh water, and sparrows find a home in the rafters. What a lovely little detail that is, isn't it? In a place like this, one day is worth a thousand elsewhere. Scholars are quick to point out that this psalm originally referred to the temple in Jerusalem, but throughout its history of interpretation, it's easy to see why these images have been re-employed to imagine the kingdom of God that awaits us in heaven. When we think of heaven, the images of this psalm come straight to mind, don't they? We think of beauty, we think of joy and singing, we think of honor and glory. Of course, it's difficult to envision so specifically what heaven might be like. We might wonder how much time we ought to spend imagining heaven. Sometimes Christianity has drawn fair criticism for focusing too much on the afterlife at the expense of focusing on this life and making this world the best it can be for the most people on this side of heaven. But there are times, I believe, when thinking and praying about heaven can be a deeply spiritual and edifying experience. And surely All Saints Sunday is one such time. I would venture to guess that most of us gathered in this room and most of us watching online know what it's like to lose a loved one. Others of us may be on the brink of losing someone we love right now. We may have lost a grandparent or a parent, a spouse or a friend. Tragically, we may have lost a child or a grandchild. Those we have lost have gone to be with the Lord, and as the scripture says, their lives are hidden with Christ in God. We carry them with us in our hearts, and they're also accessible to us in our minds, through our memories, through our videos. But they're also accessible to us in our imaginations. Consider the image we get in the book of Hebrews today, the image of a great cloud of witnesses. The picture calls to mind an Olympic stadium, and we are runners preparing to run a race. And as we take our positions, we look up and we see ourselves surrounded by a massive crowd full of people cheering for us, urging us on to run the race, to do our best, to show what we're made of. This ocean of support 
is the great cloud of witnesses, all the saints from every time and place who have gone before us into the household of God. And Hebrews invites us to use our imaginations to call the saints to mind in order that we might be encouraged and strengthened. Can you imagine the loved ones you've lost there in the great cloud of witnesses? Can you imagine them in the beauty of the house of the Lord, singing with joy and crowned with honor? Can you imagine an eternal life in which one day is like a thousand elsewhere? For some of us, it's difficult to imagine these things, I know. It's emotionally difficult. It may still be painful to call to mind our loved ones, even to imagine them in the joys of heaven. It can feel daunting because as we think about the saints who have gone before us, we feel an intense yearning to be with them again, right? We long to be reunited in the house of the Lord. Our yearnings can make us feel broken and vulnerable. And if we're not yet comfortable with the intensity of grief, we might wonder if something is wrong with us. Are we supposed to yearn and long for those we've lost? Well, I would venture to say yes. In fact, Psalm 84 models for us the expression of deep human longings. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord, the psalmist declares. And if the psalmist can yearn, so can we. And because the psalmist is praying his yearnings, so should we. Our yearnings can prompt in us prayers that open our minds and hearts to the sustaining promises of God. Now, in order to pray our yearnings, we first need to recognize that we have them. And we need to recognize that yearnings can actually be good things. In general, the Reformed tradition of which we Presbyterians are a part has maintained a largely negative view of concepts like desire and longing. Often the terms have been associated with sinful desires or sinful longings, the temptations to sin that threaten to throw us off the straight and narrow. Christian piety has sometimes been depicted as a sort of stoic commitment to Christian ethics. Holiness is considered to be a kind of mastery over our desires and emotions. And we tend to focus on knowledge of the mind, sometimes at the expense of knowledge of the heart. Now, of course, there are negative desires, and having discipline over our urges and impulses is an important part of the Christian life. But it's, it's important to remember, too, that not all of our desires and longings are bad. Not all of our desires and longings are bad. In fact, it's a longing for God that draws our hearts into prayer in the first place. It's important to yearn for God in a way that can overwhelm the defenses we tend to put around ourselves and touch our heart's deepest places. It's also normal and acceptable to yearn for those who have gone to be with God, who have joined the communion of saints in the great cloud of witnesses. Just as the women who went to Jesus' tomb on Easter morning were longing to see him again, so also we go to the graves of those we have loved and lost 
longing to see them again. And when we're there, if our minds are not drawn towards heaven, then we're prone to live as a people who have no hope. And yet because Christ was alive that Easter morning and because Christ is alive today, we do not live as a people who have no hope. We live as people who find our hope in the promises of God. The promise that in life and in death we belong to God and that just as those we love have inherited the full measure of God's promises, so too will we when we take our place with the saints in the lovely dwelling place of God. It is because our yearnings to see the saints are so compelling that we should pray them. We should use our imaginations to bring our yearning into focus and submit them to God as a sort of prayer. On All Saints Sunday, we're reminded that we do yearn for those we have lost, even while we know that they are with the Lord. And so we hold together our grief and our hope. One of my greatest yearnings is to see my father again. He's been gone for seven years now, and I'm slowly beginning to forget important memories like his facial expressions or the sound of his voice. And I often yearn to play tennis with him one more time, or to sit at Chipotle and listen to his advice on the stock market or his take on global affairs. I'm sure many of you must have these sorts of yearnings as well. At major milestones or during major transitions in our lives, we yearn to share such occasions with those we've lost. We long to hear their advice or glean their wisdom or observe how they would handle a challenging set of circumstances. The way in which I've learned to pray this yearning is to use my imagination whenever I take communion. As I receive the bread and the cup, I often picture the great heavenly banquet that awaits us in heaven, and I imagine myself at that table, seated across from my Father. I imagine him participating with me in this sacrament, which we believe unites us with all the saints from every time and place. In some ways, it is a painful image to conjure because it reminds me of my loss, but ultimately, it's healing for me because it opens my grief to God as a sort of prayer and leaves me full of hope and expectation that God will one day fulfill this longing I have. So as we prepare to receive this sacrament today on this All Saints Sunday, I invite you to join me in this practice. I invite you to imagine the house of the Lord to fill your mind with images of the saints, those you've loved and lost, the great cloud of witnesses. This is an exercise of praying from the depths of who we are, of using our imaginations to claim for ourselves again the promises of God, which comfort us in life and in death. So let us join this great cloud of witnesses in celebration of this sacrament that unites us with Christ and all those who are found in him from every generation. Use your imaginations and take hold of the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.